0: Good day, I hope you're well. Welcome to another episode of the Rabbit Society podcast. I'm currently recording this at 26 minutes past 11 in the morning, and I'm not going to lie, I've had about 20 attempts at doing this intro and I can't leave the house until I've done it, so we're just going to have to put up with whatever noises come out of my mouth at this point. Anyway, on to more important things. This week we are joined by the great Nick Smith. For those of you that don't know, Nick Smith is a contemporary artist who's most notably known for the pixelated works he creates. Uh, He makes these by... Hand placing these colour chips. Uh, now, obviously, there's a lot more to his work than that, but that's something to be discussed in this episode. Give him a Google search because his artwork really is fantastic to look at. Now, if you want to support this conversation, you can do so by heading over to therabbitsociety.com forward slash podcast where you can shop a range of brands like Nike or End or Size. Uh, once you click that link and buy something, we get a little percentage kick back to us uh, to keep this thing going, which would be great. Now, if you want to support Nick, I also highly recommend you do um, then you can go check out his upcoming show Pioneers which is set to open on the 22nd of October exactly a week from today over at Rhodes Contemporary Art Gallery. So the the first question I had uh, was obviously this is going to be listened to rather than watched so for those who are listening uh, how would you describe the kind of aesthetic of your work or the kind of works that you create? So
1: my work is collaged work, uh, on paper, which entails sticking lots of little bits of paper that are tessellated in a mosaic down onto a larger sheet. Um, it's, a, a process, um, that I've been now doing for about five or six years and I've become quite well known for it. And there's two aspects, uh, For my work is uh, the collaging of color blocks which from a distance your brain glues together this pixelized image and it kind of crystallizes into something quite recognizable Uh, and close up it's pretty abstract because it's uh, you know it's a pixelized image but the second aspect of it is um, there's a text narrative uh, that's threaded throughout my work and each individual color block has got a word written underneath it, and that word can either be a word that describes the, uh, the the color above it, which is a process that I call psychology, or it can be a a single word that you read through left to right. So there's a narrative sewn into the artwork.
0: That's great. That's a a very detailed description and. And it's required because I've never really seen art like that. Has that been a theme before? Has has anyone kind of explored this or were you the first to do so? Um, Well, there's definitely
1: been other artists that have done uh, pixelized artworks. Um, Invader is probably the best known one, Um, doing uh, mosaics, actual physical mosaics outside and in the street art realm. But, mm. to have the text narrative as well, I believe I'm the only person that's uh, yeah. done that, and i'm I'm quite um, I'm happy that I kind of own that technique because it is difficult to find something mm. in art that is unique. Uh, there's many, many painters out there. there's many mm. people that do collage, but the 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 platform I've created for myself being able to combine text narrative and an image together i think it's quite unique i think it gives Mm -hmm. me a vehicle to say a lot of different things
0: i think it's it's interesting as well the i guess the subjects that you choose to kind of collage as well they're often i guess there's there's almost like a meaning and a thought behind that obviously there has to be but they're always instantly recognizable even though there's only maybe a handful of colors on the actual Uh, you know sheet
1: yeah uh, it excites me to um, reduce down the amount of visual information required for somebody to understand what an image is Um, one of the first experiments I did was uh, with Mona Lisa and you know the most recognizable painting in the world how much information do you require to know what it Mm. is And I ended up um, doing a reduction of uh, color chips. So the first one maybe had 500, the second one had 300, and then all the way down to about 12. And you could still understand it because you knew what the colors are. The form had been lost, but the pattern of colors you understood. And then the final one was just one single color block, which was all the colors averaged. And um, I'm I'm not sure you could get it from that, but it was kind of sludgy, browny, greeny kind of colour.
0: So what what got you interested in the reduction of information? Was it the first style of art that you kind of, I don't know if style is the right word, but that you got into, or was it kind of a journey to get to this kind of output?
1: It was definitely a journey. Um, I used to be uh, an interior designer, And I spent 11 years doing that. And a big element of interior design is uh, artworks to go into spaces and also color referencing. Um, Mm. So I used Pantone swatches uh, to reference colors. And they came in a book. And the book was quite expensive. So you would tear out these little swatches and you didn't really want to throw them away. And on my desk in the design studio, I had a a little bowl and it was full of all these color swatches. And I'd be on, you know, like a conference call, uh, fiddling around with them on the desk, just sort of arranging them into different tessellations. And then one of my colleagues um, challenged me to make Marilyn by Warhol. So I went home and kind of mm. pulled out all these swatches from the book and managed to assemble it. And it, it was very crude. Uh, and I got a, t- a frame from Habitat, which was two glass sheets and kind of sandwiched all the colour swatches in. And um, that must have been around about 2010, I think. And there was a... the At, at the time, wow. um, there was... A forum, well, I think it's still there. It's called the Urban Art Forum because um, I was interested in screen printing and collecting prints and things. I posted a picture of the artwork that I mm. created on that. And then I was approached by um, a collective of artists that were having an exhibition. And it was coming up to Christmas and it was the Kingly Court just off Carnaby Street. And they invited me to put that work along with two others, um, that I'd done into the exhibition. And, uh, we turned up for the preview and saw that all three of them had been sold already. Uh, that was an incredible boost. I think they were, um, they weren't that expensive at the time. They were about 300 pounds each. Um, so those ones disappeared off into people's collections. And then I, I just kind of parked the idea for, um, I, I was still in you know, a full-time interior designer and I was approached then I think about a year or so later mm-hmm. by um, a guy called Ryan Callanan, who's goes under the name of Riker and he invited me to make, he was going to publish a print of the Maryland that I'd done. So I did that with him and um, again, they, they sold and this was the first time I'd ever published a print and sort of put that project to bed, thought, oh, yeah, that's quite cool, and then um, became an interior designer again, and then it was, uh, I think it was a couple of years later, I joined Print Club in London, which is a screen printing club, and um, not with the idea of selling anything, just uh, enjoying screen printing, because I was collecting prints at this time and just wanted to have a go at doing it Mm -hmm. myself, and obviously I was um, still specifying other artworks to go into interiors and and thought you know I could give it a go making some of my own art to put into these interiors and uh, went ahead experimented and I used to drive over late at night um, because the idea with print club at the time was you buy um, a kind of a subscription to use their screen printing beds and exposure units and all that stuff and you get unlimited time I think if you go after 11 o'clock at night but otherwise Mm. they give you kind of specific Mm. slots and it it wasn't syncing with my life so I used to drive up to Dalston and uh, get a kebab and then go in and the place was empty turn on the lights and um, do the printing until I don't know one two o'clock in the morning and then drive back home with the works that I'd done uh, so at that point, um, I was just doing this for fun. And then I took some of the prints to Art Republic down in Brighton, uh, their actual um, gallery. I think that they've changed names. Now. They're called Enter, but showed Lawrence uh, Alkin, who was the owner of Art Republic. And he took a punt on me. Took some of the um, these crude prints that I'd made into the gallery, and uh, they they sold. And um, I thought, well, you know, I could I could give this artist thing a go. And it was about that time I thought, right, I'm going to go freelance with the interior design, and see if I can give it a go mm-hmm. at making some art. So that was 2014, and um, I was busy kind of publishing and making art uh, with the intention of putting on a solo show. I didn't know how or where or, you know, how that was going to pan out, but I knew that I had to have art made to to have a show and not to be selling it. So I just um, started to make stuff and then I was in a framers one day getting one of the pieces framed and a lady walks in and she says, I really like your work. I'm a kind of a curator of art. Would you be interested in having an exhibition? And I said, yeah, of course. And at this time, the work that I was producing is pretty unrecognizable to any of the stuff that was involving Pantone or collage. It it was more brandalism that I was doing, which is where you take recognizable brands and then kind of mix them around to say something else. and she liked it so we teed up a date and she hired a space in London for me and it was just going to be kind of like a weekend long show which uh, would open on a on a Thursday and close on a Sunday and um, so she hired the the space it was just off Charlotte uh, Street and I think it was it was about 800 pounds to hire the place for long weekends So we installed all the work, I paid for all the framing, Uh, she paid for the location and she said, don't bother um, inviting any of your friends because the place is going to be packed with collectors and uh, business people and I thought, brilliant, this is great, Um, but you know, for the opening night you want to have some of your friends there, so I think I invited about five or six of my pals and my girlfriend and they all turned up but nobody else turned up. And it, it was a complete washout. You know, it hadn't been promoted. N- nobody knew that it was on. And um, uh, at the end of the weekend, I think we had sold about £100 worth of stuff. So it, w- it was a total disaster. And the relationship I had with this um, uh, curator, should I say, kind of fell apart pretty quickly. And But the one amazing thing that happened out of it was... Um, Lawrence Alkin Gallery which was in London uh, not too far away maybe I don't know a mile away they had walked past and seen some of the work inside uh, specifically artworks that I'd made using Pantone chips so they invited me to come in and uh, put some art into their winter mix show so I went in had a meeting with them took a couple of pieces that hadn't sold from this a failure show and left them with them uh about 20 minutes later I got a phone call after I left saying oh have you got some more somebody just walked in and bought them I was amazed you know this was um exactly what I wanted so I I gave them uh some more work that sold and then I was at the opening of the the mix show and Lawrence the owner took me aside and said look um if you'd like to have a solo show with us, you can take the worst month of, of the year, which is January. Uh, and it, it's, it's a tough gig selling art in January because everybody's paying off the credit cards and, you know, kind of focusing on other things. So he said, yeah, you can have the jan- January slot. And by this time, I think it was mid-November. And he said, to pull together a show, you need 20 works And so I just went home and worked day and night and, uh, made this new body of work titled it psychology, which is, um, words, color association, uh, didn't use the Pantone chips because it was going to be too expensive to actually use them. And also I think Pantone only has about 1200 colors, which is pretty limiting, So I started printing my own and where the little color reference was on the Pantone chip, I would put uh, a word associated with that color, which gave me huge loads more flexibility because I had more colors. Um, I could make as many as I wanted. I didn't have to go out buying these very expensive books um, which had a limited amount of colors in them, and I could add this other kind of level of information, which was was the the words. And um, so I went away, did that, just worked intensely, accepted the deadline because I was coming from a design background and I kind of thrive off deadlines and briefs and things. And then um, the show opened, and Lawrence took me aside at the end and and wrote a number on a bit of paper i was just amazed and i think we had sold 22,000 pounds worth of art on that opening night and off the preview which was um at, at the time you know that was pretty much a year's salary for uh for where i started with the interior design so i thought this is viable that's crazy yeah and it was at that moment i thought i'm
0: going to go full time with the art so I'm just thinking, did you have any kind of moment where you had to tell your friends and your family and your partner that you were going full-time as an artist? So I'm just thinking, were, they, were there any moments where they were checking that you were really sure about this you know, career path, given that you obviously had a, a lot more security in being an interior designer? There were,
1: there were definitely some raised eyebrows, especially from the company that I was working with, uh, who I'm still... Really good friends with um they were supportive of me going off doing it, but I was quite successful in their senior concept designer, so I'd been with them for eleven years at this stage and um yeah, some people thought I was mad doing what I was doing, but I really like being my own boss, and I am motivated so you know if I can just and I'm okay with my own company. Um, I can sort of dip in and out of everything else, uh, but I can control my output and uh, I, I don't sort of sit around doing nothing. So I'm okay being
0: self-employed. So did you ever go back and talk to that lady that first challenged you to create the Maryland piece? Does she Is she aware of your position as an artist now
1: are you referring to the person that I had the unsuccessful show with or the person that oh challenged no the person
0: me? the person who challenged you to put that's
1: this... yes uh that's a guy called mike abbott who uh i'm still good friends with and he's got some of my works. so okay good I, I don't know if you know how
0: instrumental he was but he's um yeah definitely a part of the story oh wow nice that's amazing so I was thinking, bringing it to kind of modern day now. After talking about your previous endeavors, um, your latest show, Pioneers. What was what was the inspiration behind that? The inspiration was it
1: is it, <laughs> it's, it's thinking about the best way to communicate this. It's um, mm. it's kind of it was Plan B, if I'm honest with you. Uh, plan A was we were going to go to America and have an exhibition in New York um, mm. this fall in October, but. After the border closed um, late spring, we realised that it just wasn't viable. So we uh, changed the plan, and instead of going to America, we thought we'd bring America here. And I've always been fascinated with uh, the US, um, like since I was a kid. There was, I mean, this is quite a common story. I would have thought for people of my generation. But, you know, friends were going on holiday to America, bringing back stuff that you couldn't get here, whether it be trainers or Tommy Hilfiger mm-hmm. or, or um, like Simpsons playing cards and things or basketball cards. So it was it was all just a fascination to me. And then when I went over for the first time, uh, everything, you know, you get off the airplane and get out into the airport and you've got these massive burbling V8s going past you. Everything's bigger. It's just slightly different. Um, So I'd always had a fascination with the place. And also um, there was just such a great body of canonised American artists and artworks, all quite kind of contemporary, um, all all quite new, um, lots of styles and techniques that are owned by these artists, which really appeals to me. With every show that i do i like to kind of contain it within a single concept um and now that probably goes back to my years as a designer so Mm. everything can kind of hang well together so i thought right i'm going to just this this exhibition is going to be american art american culture and i unable to look outwards which i would usually do uh previous exhibitions have been auction results or uh Art of theft, I decided five years after my first show, uh, Psychology, to use the same concept again. I was look, very much looking inwards. This is coinciding with this uh, lockdown. So I was mm. sort of just restricted to our space, the studio, and my head. So the show is inwards looking, and it's got the words, Colour Association, threaded through all these American artworks, 22 in total.
0: And that's running from when? It's October, right?
1: Yeah, it opens uh, in about a week and a half, from the 22nd of October, and it closes on the 28th
0: of November. Awesome. Well, I would obviously recommend anyone go check that out. Um, I'm going to do my very best to get there as well. I'm currently residing in in Oxford, so I think it'll be well worth the trip down. Thank you. Yeah, it would be great to share the work with you.